Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. It is a horrible day because uh, what a way to start the new year. Yeah, couldn't they wait another week before they loaded on us? But no, no, no. Congress is coming back to town today. And, you know, I think it just proves that things could be worse than we thought, despite our hopes that 2017 would be better and not as bad as we thought. No, with Congress here, and I'll tell you why, because they are coming to town, not just coming back to town. They are coming to town with an agenda. For the last two years, uh, the, the, the way Congress worked was they got nothing done. They, whether they were home or here, it really didn't make any difference because, and we heard Republican members of Congress complain about this as well as Democratic members of Congress, because they got nothing done. Passed very few bills except for renaming post offices. Uh, but this time it is different. They have a very, in fact, it reminds us of uh, across the street from our studios on, on the Hill, there was a junior high school uh, about a year and a half ago called Heinz Junior High, uh, and um, it had closed down, been shut for a couple of years. So the city approved a whole new project for this block across the street from us, huge project with uh, residential apartments, condominiums, you know, the drill. A big office building, retail stores, a new Trader Joe's, all that kind of stuff. But first, they had to get rid of the high school. Uh, and they didn't dynamite it. They just brought in these big cranes, these big, big pieces of equipment. And it was so much fun to watch them just knock them down, knock the walls down. Boom, boom, every day. Crowds out, out, outside of our studio on the sidewalk watching this happen. Well, you know what? They've moved all that equipment from, from right here on maybe seven blocks from the Capitol. They've moved it down to the Capitol today. And that's the equipment that the Republicans are going to use to tear down piece by piece the Obama agenda. And they've made no bones about it. That's exactly what their goal is, to destroy everything that President Obama uh, was and the American people were able to accomplish uh, over the last eight years. In fact, you know, Grover Norquist, uh, you've heard of him probably. He's the head of this group called Americans for Tax Reform. He's one of the most powerful, most influential conservatives uh, in in Washington, in the country. You see him on TV all the time. He's a guy that says, that says you know, no tax. He, he'd get rid of all taxes, period. Uh, and um, he's also the guy who wants to put a statue or a monument, something dedicated to Ronald Reagan in every single county in America. In every single building in America. Every single building, I think, right? You walk in, there's a statue of Ronald Reagan. But at any rate, Grover Norquist once said that the ideal president would be somebody who has just enough flexibility in their fingers to be able to hold a pen and sign a document without thinking about it. Well, get 
They got him. They found him. They found him in Donald Trump. Exactly. A guy who doesn't know anything, who doesn't know policies, who doesn't understand them, who doesn't care about understanding them. I mean, to this day, to this day, he has still not sat down for an intelligence briefing on the Russian hacking of the of, of, of this election. Even though 16 until 17 intelligence agencies have all said, yeah, Russia, it happened and the Russians did it. Donald Trump still says he doesn't believe it, but he still has not sat down, hasn't had time. Too many important things to do, like playing golf, hasn't sat down with the intelligence agencies to find out what they did discover when they looked into it. So this is this is the this is the guy that the Russians have been waiting the Russians yeah well, well <laughs> Freudian slip that the Republicans have been waiting for all these years somebody who will just sign anything that they put in front of them they can count on Donald Trump to do that. Unlike Barack Obama, oh my god. Oh my god, night and day. Uh, Obama who would not make a decision about, I don't know, what to have for lunch, right, without having a, almost uh, <laughs> spending hours pondering it, right, or thinking about it or in get, getting people's advice. Don't mean to make fun of him, but at any rate, uh, needless to he's say. He's a careful man. He's a very careful man. Uh, Donald Trump is not. So, so this White House is just going to be a rubber stamp for this Republican Congress, and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are coming in again. They've got their agenda uh, and it's going to be them and the Tea Party, of course, who run them uh, in charge. So wh- why does why does this matter to us? I mean, why do we start here today? What do we have to lose? You know what we've got to lose? Everything. Everything we believe in. Everything we stand for. Everything that we have fought for all these years. Any progress that we have made, even under Republican presidents, not just under President Obama. Because we'll get into this in just a minute, but if you're talking about the EPA, for example, right? The EPA was started by Richard Nixon, the Clean Water Act, Richard Nixon, Clean Air Act, Richard Nixon, all right? So this is not just crazy Democratic liberal stuff that Donald Trump is going to undo. He's going to undo, uh, talk about immigration reform, you know, who, who was the one who urged and who got Congress to approve amnesty for 5 million people who were living here uh, illegally, undocumented Americans, uh, uh, back in the 80s. It was Ronald Reagan. So we're talking about what Republicans and Democratic presidents together, and particularly what President Obama has been able to accomplish over the last 50 years, all of it, uh, the wrecking crew. That's what we ought to call them, the wrecking crew. They're uh, they're out to destroy uh, everything, and you know, also you got to contrast this with the way it was in two thousand and nine. I, I mean, and, and give the give the Republicans credit for this, man. They're not going to waste any time. When Democrats came in two thousand and nine, they had the House, they had the Senate, they had the White House, and what do they do? Right? They didn't force through everything. They didn't force through immigration reform. They didn't force through anything on guns and gun, on gun safety. First of all, they had to deal with the stimulus because President Bush had left the country in such d- dire financial straits, biggest hole we've ever been in since the Great Depression. They had to deal with that. That was the stimulus. And then they jumped into Obamacare and they put everything else on the sidelines. And the Democrats fought about that, fought among each other about what they should do, 
Some people want to do immigration and do more than one thing at a time. No, no, no. They just focused on for the next year and a half on health care. Republicans are not going to make that. They're not going to make that mistake. First of all, they're more united. Secondly, they got their agenda, and it's a multiple agenda, as we'll see in just a minute. And the third thing is they don't have an economic crisis to worry about. Hell, they've got the most robust, rosy economy, not for all Americans, that we've, but, but generally, at, that we've had in a long time. So they've got this opportunity. They're going to seize it, and they are going to take advantage of it. Um, and you, on each issue, their agenda is going to be, look at what Obama did, and here's what we're going to do to that. And we'll let you, So we, we, we can just go through them. And it's a long list. Again, everything we care about is on the chopping block. So joining us now, Igor uh, from uh, the Center for American Progress Action Fund, Deputy Director, if you please, Igor Volsky. Hello, Igor. Good morning, Bill. Happy nice New Year. You. Happy New Year to you. Can we say that about 2017? <laughs> that it will be happy. It's off to a rocky start. But I feel like we that, will really... I'm hoping that you have a happy 27. Thank you. That's a better way of putting it. But, you know, we'll get all the <laughs> okay. all the junk out here in the beginning, and then we'll have smooth sailing. Oh, yeah. I'm confident. <laughs> yeah. Here, right? That's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> what are you smoking? <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, Give me some. Yeah, we were just talking about the Congress coming back in town today and um, and, and their agenda, which is you know, to destroy everything that's been accomplished over the last 50 years, basically. But they didn't even wait no. until Congress convenes today to take action, the House Republicans, to take action yesterday getting rid of the Office of Congressional Ethics. Well, who needs an Office of Congressional Ethics, right? You know, the problem with Congress that I hear when I travel the country is that it's just too freaking ethical. Uh, yeah. Just they follow the rules uh, a little too much. you got to loosen things up, shake things up to make America great again. We don't want that. We need some <laughs> greed and corruption. We do need a little greed and corruption. Well, I guess we're going to see more of it, more of it now. But how important is this office? Well, and this office, you know, came about, about in 2008 in the aftermath of the Abramoff scandal, in yeah. the aftermath of the Mark Foley scandal, as we all remember, who was mm. texting uh, pages, all kinds of things. Um, and there was this real sense that the House Ethics Committee did nothing. And the reason is, is because you're policed by your colleagues. So it's like coming in front of a judge who also happens to be your brother-in-law, right? He's going yeah. yeah. to be a little favorable to you. In the five years, I believe, before the uh, uh, this this body came into being, which, by the way, is full of prosecutors who are appointed uh, to to this committee, so it's not you're not being judged by your colleagues. In the five years before 2008, we had, I believe, an estimated five actions, disciplinary actions that the House committee took against members. Now, this was kind of in the height of all of this corruption. 2008, this office is established. And again, the office can't actually prosecute anything, but it can investigate cases. And then it has a procedure that it follows that if it believes that the violation is serious enough, it bumps it up, recommends it uh, to the House Ethics Committee, and then it's up again to that committee to take any kind of action. But harder for the House committee 
to ignore. Harder to ignore because, because there's mechanisms that publicize the action. Career prosecutors who really come up these with these the career prosecutors. Yeah. So, so this this independent office is kind of like uh, a grand jury that does a fact collection, says that there's serious proof here that there might be a violation, and kicks it up uh, to the House Committee. So, in the five years after the uh, office was established, the House Committee was pressured to do. 20, 20 um, different, uh, uh, different yeah. pronouncements that actually had teeth uh, and told members that they were violating laws. So it's had real effect. And another point I want to make, I keep coming back to this is that the office has taken action against Republican and Democratic yes. members. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so you look like somebody, uh, Jesse Jackson Jr., right, who we all remember now was trying to buy Barack Obama's seat after Barack Obama was elected right. president. The OCE was very much involved in that case. He's now in jail. Democrat. Um, Mel Watt, Democrat I from Illinois. Democrat from Illinois, right. Jesse Jackson Mel Jr. Mel Watt, right? Wasn't he another one? Uh, I don't, I don't want to impugn anybody, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, that, that name pops into my head. At any rate, there were Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just going after no, Republicans. No. Right. I mean, you know, on the Republican side, you have somebody like Aaron Schock, who yes. was forced to well. resign for a whole host of campaign uh, finance violations. But again, the OCE was right. involved uh, in that as well. You look uh, quickly, Nathan Deal, uh, who is now the governor of Georgia, but was uh, the a member of Congress from Georgia, um, had ethics violations and was forced to resign. And this is where the office was really important because the investigation got bumped to the House committee. And Deal, in an effort to save his political career, resigned right before the office was going to announce that he was, in fact, guilty of violating rules. And if it wasn't for the OCE, that would have never been public. It only became public because the OCE has the ability to publicize these kinds of cases, even if the House committee doesn't. Um, so he resigned in an effort to, to hide that from voters. It eventually became public. You know, ultimately it didn't matter. He's now the governor of Georgia. Um, but that's, that's exactly why in that case why you needed an OCE because that would have been covered up. Now, according to reports this morning uh, in the Republican conference yesterday where they took this vote, again, without having any public hearing. Well, could we without... talk about this vote? This vote was yeah. it was uh, a secret vote yes. on a secret no uh, hearings, meeting. No debate. In a no... secret meeting, right, right um, uh, that occurred on a national holiday. So if you really were trying to hide something, you have a secret vote and a secret meeting on when Americans aren't paying attention because it's a but, national holiday. But oops, and the bachelor's on, I think. But oops, on we all learned out about learned about it. And and what I what's what's been reported is that both Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy, the number one and number oh, two this Republicans, is such garbage. Well, what kind of speaker are you that you will allow uh, a measure to the floor that you exactly. vehemently oppose? Yeah, exactly. But it's going to go no, to the floor. That is baloney. Same. Yeah. So they put that out there to make them look good, right? Yeah. But they could have stopped it. I mean, they could have stopped it. He's the House Speaker. He could have stopped that. In what world right? does a measure come to the floor that the House Speaker opposes? I just want to be very, very clear. You don't allow a vote. On something like that, right. if you're if you if you're in charge, Paul Ryan did not have to let that happen, right? right? We just, just want to make sure that's crystal no, and clear. He should be held accountable, and well, that's he should, what I'm saying. He should be forced to vote against it. Now, yeah. you know, traditionally, uh, speakers don't vote for bills, but if he's really against it, he wants to send a signal it. that he's against it. Vote against it. Who cares about that tradition? Nobody yeah. but you. So conveniently, in terms of optics, right? 
or in just in terms of um, I don't know overplaying overplaying their hand. Why would they do this? Why? So the reason why they would argue they did this, and the other piece of this, Bill, is that the people who are leading the charge, who wanted this reform for a long time, were people, of course, who were investigated by the OCE and did not um, agree with the process that was taken. Now, there are some wrinkles in the OCE process. You know, there's been a clamor, um, and, and multiple groups have called for this. For, to allow greater due process for these members, to give them a bigger voice. Those were kind of small reforms yeah, and tweaks. Fine, and they fine. used that as an opportunity to shut this office down. So th so their argument, their argument is that because the office um, can take anonymous tips, whistleblower tips, um, and launch these investigations, they felt like they, they or their staff members in some cases were treated unfairly. Um, and so they, these members, these House members, uh, pushed for these reforms. Right. Well, the only reason, it's, it's a certain perverse sense of pleasure I get out of this because I think this proves that they will give them enough rope and they will hang themselves. And they're already starting well, to Bill, do Well, Bill, we so. know how this movie ends. I mean, again, before the office, there was uh, you had a Republican-controlled government with rampant corruption. Right. <laughs> That's why yeah. the office yeah. was established. Right. To Jack try Abram to off exactly. anybody who walk into his office. To try to prevent that. Yeah. Now they're taking that out of the uh, hands of this independent body. And have you gone over what kinds of reforms these are? I mean, under... Under this effort, which would put the OCE within the jurisdiction of the House Ethics Committee, the OCE can no longer take recommendations from whistleblowers. So if a whistleblower yeah, comes right. forward, they, they can't. can't initiate investigation. They have to immediately abandon an investigation if the House committee says uh, they should. Sure. They, um, If they come across a criminal manner, they can't even refer this to uh, law enforcement. And finally, there's no public function at all. So the website that I spent um, the early parts of today on will be shut down because they can't release anything. They can't even hire a communication in effect, in effect, uh, they, they, they gutted it, but in effect, they've destroyed it. Absolutely I mean, destroyed right. it. Yeah, exactly. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Paul Singer with us from USA Today. Uh, as a friend of Bill this entire hour, we're joined by Simone Pathé, who covers the Hill uh, and politics in general for Roll Call. Hello, Simone. Nice Hello. to see you. Nice to see you. Happy New Year to you, too. Same I'll move to that you. microphone yeah. a little bit. So Paul and I have been talking a little bit about this Congress. You cover the Congress. Um, one thing, I want to talk about this agenda that this Repub the Republicans start off today with. But Democrats have an agenda, too maybe, one would hope. And part of that is um, taking a careful look at Donald Trump's cabinet nominees. What are the chances or what are the possibilities in that they could 
end up scuttling or <laughs> rejecting any of these nominees. Taking a look and taking as long as they can to take a look is basically all they can do. They don't have the votes to stop right. any of these nominees, so all they can really <laughs> do is drag out the process. They can demand tax returns, which they haven't gotten, and a lot of um, Obama's nominees weren't required to submit either. But they can make why up- should why should the uh, Trump nominees <laughs> submit their tax returns. Well, by the way, there's an interesting point here that, you know, um, what was it, Ginsburg, who maybe smoked a joint and uh, was not chosen for the Supreme Court. Uh, I think it was um, Nanny Gate that uh, took down Zoe Baird, right? Because she had yes, to pay yes, her, her yes, nanny right. the proper taxes. So here's my question. What infraction would be so significant as to disqualify a uh, uh, cabinet choice for the tr- incoming Trump administration because our standards have changed so dramatically right, at this point. Right. Like, what would you have to do to get thrown off the team? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, and particularly when it comes to, for example, Secretary of State nominee Rex Tillerson, that's the one where you see some balking even from Republicans on the whole Russia thing. So, right. I mean, will that be enough? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> if you said you were going to grab a woman by her. <laughs> Oh no, that wouldn't work yeah, either. No, that yeah. wouldn't work. Yeah, but again, this this you becomes, can even get elected president by doing that. Th- this is this is the challenge <laughs> yeah. for for Democrats and for liberals in you know a t- town where now all branches of government are controlled by Republicans is you have to save your bullets right because you mm-hmm. can't they're not going to be able to yeah. stop mm-hmm. thirteen cabinet nominations right maybe if they're lucky. Um, they find one they can take apart because something happens, there's something in the disclosure, there's something else that, you know, turns the story in such a way that three or four Republicans want to go against them. I was surprised uh, to learn when I was researching for a column that there's only been one nominee of a president-elect who's ever been rejected. Some nominees of presidents have been rejected, and that is John Tower, back who George H.W. Bush proposed as Secretary of Defense. Um, so it would be very rare for them to to to, to scuttle or to throw overboard. And mm-hmm. and you're right, Paul. They've got to choose their targets. They can't get them all right. So probably Tillerson, are you saying, is the most vulnerable Simply and the most likely? There's, there's some Republican opposition to him, um, which you're not going to see. You know, in the case of Jeff Sessions, for example, right. he's one of them. <laughs> he's a member right. of the Senate. There's no precedent for a, a sitting member not to be confirmed by his peers. Um, and remember that Democrats, looking ahead to 2018, ten of them are up in states that Trump won, so That's they right. have to choose their battles too. They can't be seen as, um, you know, impeding every possible move that he wants to make, or else they're going to look bad ahead of their own reelection. That's mm-hmm. right, but they, they but they can dirty some of these people up. I mean, sure. part part of the idea here is, um, you know, they're not gonna they may not win, but they're also not gonna just sort of hide under the table and let it go by without, right. you know, trying to you know, raise some questions about the character of these people. Right, so Republicans uh, defiantly refuse for an entire year to have a even have a hearing uh, on um, Merrick Garland. Mm-hmm. That President Obama's nominee to the Supreme Court, some Republicans wouldn't even meet with him. Right? Uh, how long can Democrats do that to Rex Tillerson? <laughs> I, I think I read that Senator Feinstein, for example, has refused to meet with him so far, yeah, even she, though she he's, or delayed her meeting. he's a yeah. colleague, and right. Diane, I know her well, gets along with everybody. Yeah, I mean, these are the kind of tactics that I think you're going to see Democrats trying to use. Like we said, they don't really have any official way of scuttlebutting these nominees. So they're going to delay. They're going to cancel meetings. They're going to ask for things twice and three times. Right. (laughs) 
There's already been some 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 chatter about the fact that um, you know Obama's first nominees were uh, approved within right. hours of him taking office, right. and so day, yeah. they're going to make the point like, I believe that was a Democratic Senate, so um, it, it sort of changes <laughs> the dynamic. But still, you know, but but still the same deal. You know, like, you know, uh, is the basic rule that they should be or have to be confirmed before the president is inaugurated? Uh, I don't think that's necessarily... No, no I don't think so. Because I don't no. think the hearings are... The, the hearings will be before, but I don't think they can be inaugurated until the new president right. is sworn in because officially they're not nominated until right. he... Right? So, but, so I, I think it has to be immediately after he's sworn in. Um, but uh, uh, I... Yeah. I don't. I can't imagine any of these can take all that long. Again, I, I would not be surprised to find the one, right, right where something happens right. where you know a tax yeah. return shows up, and again, it would not be a vote like Tower, um, which mm-hmm. was uh, womanizing and drinking was the problem in that case, um, but um, it would be a withdrawal. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the 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 candidate, the nominee might step down because of some embarrassing thing. Right. Right. So um, Congress officially opens today. Paul and I have been talking uh, that we're talking about the fa- the Congressional Ethics Office, which actually <laughs> that vote was yesterday in a secret vote. But uh, on in terms of the public agenda, what so Mitch McConnell, the Senate, Paul Ryan in the House mm-hmm. take over today mm-hmm. um, and they've got a president who will basically sign anything they want. What's what's what are their priorities and how right. fast are they going to move? What do you see? So the ball is in their court here. They have, you know, traditionally when the new party is in power, they have these first 100 days and that's where you can really get something done. So they're going to try as hard as they can to repeal Obamacare. The question that everyone wants to know is, Okay, well, what are you going to do after you repeal it? So there's talk of repealing it, having that repeal actually be on some sort of delay so they can get rid of it and then kind of figure out what they're going to do to replace it before it actually disappears. Um, But there's no consensus about what a replacement would look like. So that's a huge problem for them. Doesn't mean they're not going to go ahead and try to score that political point as early in the session as they can. It's sort of, isn't it sort of like burning down your house before (laughs) you have another place to move? It's more like uh, uh, telling you that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's son, uh, father before the movie starts. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> and then we have to watch the whole thing to get to the end. <laughs> but um, when they say repeal, they mean repeal. We're going to repeal it, but then, if I hear you correctly, but we'll leave it in place until we figure out what we're going to replace it with right. two or three years from now. Right, exactly. So they would pass legislation to repeal it, but the repeal... No, it's been around for seven years, right? If they had a good idea to replace <laughs> it with, don't you think they would have come up with it by now? Well, they weren't in power on, you know, both houses for, right. for that time. So they have a lot so more leverage. So they didn't have to, by and large? Yeah, I mean, they had trial runs in terms of how they would repeal it, but there's been competing plans for how they would actually create their own version. And remember that a lot of Republicans won in districts where some of these, some of the parts of the law are popular. Right. <laughs> you know, they've already conceded they're not going to do away with children under 26 being on their on their parents' right. insurance, pre-existing conditions, but there are other things that are pretty popular. So and the, the fundamental think- problem here is that, you know, the way health care works and the way Obamacare works is that there are poor people who have health care problems who can't afford insurance and they can't afford coverage. So they have two choices. Either someone pays for their insurance 
to cover the costs of their medical care, or they show up in a critical condition in a hospital and the general taxpayer pays for the medical care, one way or another. Someone's going to have to pay that cost, and no one's ever figured out how to do that without what Obamacare did, basically, was... Subsidies. Yeah, basically, they, they took from the rich to pay for the poor. I mean, it was a Robin Hood mission, and that was the way they were going to try and work it out. So isn't it, in fact, going to prove to be more difficult than they think to get... Just, quote unquote, to get rid of Obamacare. Well, I don't think it's going to prove more difficult than they think. I think they think it's going to be really, oh. really <laughs> difficult. I think they know it, but I also think they have no choice but to pass the first right. bill. They have to pass a repeal bill. A, a Republican Congress with President Donald Trump can, after voting, what, 50 some odd times to repeal mm-hmm. Obamacare? I think, yeah, I think maybe more, but uh, go ahead. They yeah. cannot yeah. not pass that bill first. Right. And But the fine print is going to say something along the lines of, as Simone said, no, I mean, not really. <laughs> not until we. <laughs> yeah, so and they voters do. aren't necessarily going to know the difference. I mean, for years now in, in congressional elections, every single ad that the NRCC runs against Democrats has been Obamacare, Obamacare, Obamacare. So, you know, they're just looking for the headline here right. that says they repealed it. The details can wait until later. Right. For nobody, them. nobody reads the fine print. Right. Yeah. No, they do the repeal vote. But, but that next job, right? That's where, tough. Where they, where, the, where they have to get into, okay, what stays and what doesn't stay, what, what's refined or a little bit, that's, that's going to be tough. Yeah. yeah and, it be, and again, it gets back to the same problem, which is sooner or later, uh, and Donald Trump said during one of the presidential debates, we're not going to let you die in the street, right? If that is, in fact, his policy, <laughs> we're not going to let you die in the street, that means someone's going to have to pay somewhere. Someone's going to have to pay to prevent you from dying in the street. Um, and and at the moment, the the payer of last resort would be the government in that case. All right. So Obamacare is a, a number one target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what are their other priorities in the um, days? A bunch of regulations that they're hoping to do away with, and we don't know exactly which ones. But everything from environmental standards that were recently passed um, to labor standards, things about you know overtime regulations, how much you pay people. Um, these are things that Republicans have long said have been a burden to small businesses, particularly that's a huge campaign pledge that you hear every cycle. Um, so again, this is about really locking down some of these things that Republicans say they stand for and showing voters that they have delivered within the first Wall days. Street reforms? Wall Street regulate. I mean, regulations of financial, yeah, not just yeah. small business. I guess is right. the point I'm making. Right. Yeah, I think that might be a little bit trickier because some of these regulations, um, you know, are such firebrand Republican things to do away with environmental standards, for example, especially in, in so-called Trump districts. That plays really well on doing coal standards, for example. They're also looking at a broad le- regulatory policy, which is interesting. I mean, not only the rules uh, that Simone's mentioning, the specific rules, but they're talking about passing legislation mm-hmm. that essentially would say that the government can't uh, uh, implement any new major regulation mm-hmm. until Congress affirmatively votes to approve the rule. So instead of the way it currently works is that Congress passes a law, the White House, uh, you know, the president signs the bill, and the White House assigns an agency to write rules to implement it. And they go out for public review, and then they're adopted or not. And if there's a dispute over the rule, it goes to the right. court, where the yeah. court then decides whether or not right. the legislative right. intent was met. What Congress wants to do, what the Republican Congress is proposing to do, um, is change that, turn that process on its head and say that you get to the point where the agency writes the rule, and it sits unless Congress approves it affirmatively, uh, it dies. 
And that is a fascinating change. And and by the way, there's a constitutional question about whether they can actually get away with it. But but that is a total shift in how regulations would get passed and approved, and it would limit dramatically limit the num- number. It of also new is a total shift. And I was going to ask you in in, in um, where the power resides, whether the power resides, and over the last I think two administrations, more and more power has gone to the White House, and mm-hmm. Congress has let that happen. Not just the War Powers Act, but you know, kind of a- across the board. That's right. Uh, and do you see some of that attempt to pull that power back to Congress now? If there's anybody who would let that happen, it's Donald Trump, isn't it? That's the question, isn't it? <laughs> is is that do, would Donald Trump want to let a, a Republican Congress basically crawl back and claw back authorities that the White House has sort of traditionally taken on? I don't know. You know, George Trump, George Bush, George Trump, George, <laughs> George Bush, Trump, yeah. with his executive actions and with his signing statements, signing statements, right? Every one of those, mm-hmm. you know, pulled more power to the, the imperial presidency, which is what Dick Cheney wanted. And what they accuse Obama of. Yeah, exactly. As we know, this is not a guy who campaigned on much of a, a policy platform. So it's not <laughs> like he's got, you know, boxes full of ideas that he's waiting to implement. In some respects, he has to defer to Congress to That's help true. him. <laughs> no one's ever going to accuse Donald Trump of being a policy wonk. No, no. No. <laughs> well, my favorite quote of the week or the year so far uh it's an old one, but uh, the Washington Post repeated yesterday Grover Norquist once saying, head of Americans for Tax Reform, that the ideal president who somebody has just enough digital power to hold a pen and sign whatever you put in front of him. <laughs> right. Well, they got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say. That's, that's what they want in a president. Just, but, just, you can hold a pen and, and sign your signature. That's all we need. <laughs> that's all we want. But but if, if Democrats are going to be uh, obstructionist, um, uh, I use that term affectionately, right? I mean, if, if Democrats are going to try and block things in the Senate and are successful at doing so, it may be that the power of the president's pen is, again, the best way for Republicans to get stuff done mm-hmm. because the president can unilaterally repeal a bunch of uh, uh, yeah, executive right. orders, can issue his own executive orders, can do stuff that they may not be able to get through a Congress. Um, so, you know, again, this is sort of back and forth between the branches always. Whatever the party is, there's always this back and forth between the branches. Well, what about the where, the, the, where there are differences? At least in the rhetoric, there's a big difference on trade, for example. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't like these trade deals. Mm-hmm. President Obama would never have gotten fast-track authority without Republican votes because the Democrats voted all voted against it. Right. On on that issue, will Republicans really defy and stand up to the Trump White House? I think that's a good question that I don't have the we answer to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to have to see. There's certainly a lot of pro-trade Republicans. Um, a lot of them were against Trump during the election. Um, will they remain against him? Will they decide to go along? I think that remains to be seen. How do you read it, Paul? You also take Russia as another example well, where he, he's right. cozying up to Putin and Republicans in Congress are saying, McCain, I no think, way. is having a hearing on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, John McCain has had a scheduled a hearing on Thursday in the Armed Services Committee yeah. to talk about Russia and cyber. He, uh, in fact, if, if we can, he was in. Um, he, he's traveling now. He's with, with, of course, his sidekick Lindsey Graham, yeah. uh, and also Senator Amy Klobuchar in Ukraine. He was asked yesterday about uh, Putin, uh, Donald Trump saying putting more sanctions on Russia was a bad idea. McCain. We will be working for much tougher sanctions against Russia. They uh, attacked the United States of America. The hacking was an attack. 
Yeah. So no I mean, doubt I think in his mind, right? And I, I think you know there are still uh, 535, 38 if you count the three, um, 535 members of Congress um, who have their own platforms, their own uh, agendas, uh, and their own um, reputations to burnish. Uh, uh, folks like McCain. Uh, have this advantage of not facing re-election at this point uh, and having a pretty uh, credible position on foreign affairs to talk from where he doesn't have to uh, bow to Donald Trump's needs necessarily. That is going to be an issue that Trump is going to have to deal with. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's always a conflict, but you're going to see tension between those Republicans who need to worry about their re-elections and those who are home free. I mean, you saw that even last night with the ethics committee stuff. You had Republican leadership, Ryan and McCarthy, saying, hold on, guys, maybe we shouldn't do this. Bob Goodlatte, he doesn't care. (laughs) He's home free. So th- that's going to be an ongoing tension. And also, well, for, also for the Democrats, also by the way. The is, you know, sure. Joe Manchin becomes the most right. interesting vote in the Senate because right. yeah, he's yeah. got to run for re-election in West Virginia, and he's a Democrat. Uh, just a, one small point. I, I don't want to let Paul Ryan off the hook too easily on this. <laughs> I mean, he is the Speaker of the House, right? I mean, a, a real Speaker does not let anything happen he doesn't want to happen, right? I mean, mm. a vote, if, if he wouldn't even allow a vote if he didn't, if he were, to me, a real speaker and and he might have protested but he let that vote happen and he knew what was going to happen so i hold him as guilty as anybody else sam rayburn would never never well yeah right <laughs> i mean seriously right you're true a, you're i'm not i'm not using sam rayburn as a no I'm not entirely <laughs> no i'm mean, not going back trying to, to think yeah. of some strong speaker I but it's true how and, strong he was but i mean if you're if you're the speaker you're the speaker <laughs> The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, Congress is back in town and the Republicans are loaded for bear. Yep, their agenda in the first 100 days is to destroy and undo everything that President Obama has accomplished in the last eight years. What's at stake? Everything. Everything that you and I believe in, everything we've fought for, everything we have won and achieved over the last eight years, and even beyond, Republicans are intent to destroy. It's all on the chopping block, starting with immigration reform, and then, of course, any regulations on Wall Street, anything that the president has done on climate change or the EPA, the Iran nuclear deal, the the Paris Climate Accords, all of it on the chopping block. It's up to us and Democrats in Congress to fight back every step of the way. That's my parting shot for today. I'm Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show.